Wealth Tactic Rebels, ingenious tactics to accumulate wealth for people who see things differently. Welcome to another discussion with Wealth Tactic Rebels, the podcast for people who see things differently. I'm your host, Kevin Dumont, and I've been thinking differently in the wealth field for well over 10 years. Today, we're joined by our co-host, Brian. Hi there, everybody. Brian Dumont here, owner and manager of Dumont Wealth. Happy to be here, Kevin. Happy to have you as always, Brian. Looking forward to our discussion today. And today, we're going to talk about lifestyle. There's always a tension between our current lifestyle desires and our future lifestyle reality. No matter how much we earn or accumulate, we're very good at setting our own lifestyle ever upwards. No one wants to move back down the lifestyle staircase, so to speak, to a lower lifestyle. So the paramount question that arises today is, am I spending my desired future lifestyle today? Today we will look at this concept of lifestyle in the context of how much we make, how much we save, and where that might leave us in the future. We'll explore the tension between current and future lifestyle and look at some honest ways to help evaluate where we're at. Because ultimately, lifestyle is what we all dream of and dreams can sometimes become reality. We work to make that happen. When we're trying to evaluate today's lifestyle versus our future lifestyle, it's important to understand wealth potential. So let's discuss with Brian a little bit about wealth potential and what that means. Hi there, Kevin. So wealth potential is a concept, really, that we can kind of use to hang our hat on when it comes to looking at our wealth, rather than looking at it on a monthly basis or an annual basis. You know, we're often used to thinking about how much money we make or how much we have based on the current balance in our accounts, if you even pay attention to that, and some people don't, of course, you know who you are, and or how much we have of a regular flow of income on a monthly basis, or how much we have on an annual basis, for instance, when we file our taxes. That's one way to look at it. But the truth of the matter is, wealth potential is a much larger concept. It really looks at, over our lifetime, what can we earn and what can we save, right? Yeah. The reason we look at it in the broader context like that is because Once you do, you can ask yourself a very important question. And that in question is this. If you knew your total life's wealth potential as a lump sum, for example, would you treat it differently than thinking about it in small pieces? That's a good question. Right? Now, I don't know. I don't know, uh, you know, but when you look at something and you realize, God, that really is an awful lot more than I thought. You know, if you think, well, I only make X dollars. And, you know, it's not a big deal. I can spend here and there. It's just never going to add up to what I want anyway. Right. I mean, some people think like that, right? But when those same people step back and I do this exercise with them and they look for the first time, perhaps, at what their full wealth and income potential is over their lifestyle, it becomes a much different kind of thing. So let's run a quick calculation together, maybe one or two. Just as an example, so people can kind of think about this, okay? Sure, that sounds like a good idea. So let's suppose that you are currently 55 years old. You're going to retire in 10 years at 65, and currently your income is 250000 
that income is growing over time of, let's say, a little bit above of the inflation, so at 5% a year, and you currently have a net worth of, let's say, a million and a half dollars, and you're hoping to get 6% on your investments, okay? So those are our inputs for the calculation. And when I calculate it, what it tells me is that from now until my retirement age, that is over the next 10 years, my lifetime, my income potential is $3.1 million. That's my income potential. Yeah, wow. Oh, wait a minute. Now, just stop and think for that for a second. I make $250. It's very normal, right? Every, all of your friends make $250, give or take. But when you suddenly think, wait a minute, I'm going to make $3.1 million. Now, that's a different thing, isn't it? That's a much larger number. Suddenly, it sounds like a lot of money. $3.1 million is a lot of money. It really is. It's a, you can do something with that, right? Sure, absolutely. So that's where it starts to impact how we think about our money. The next part of it is, what about our wealth potential? Well, our wealth potential, believe it or not, is just shy of $7 million. Now, $7 million, wait a minute, how are we getting to that number? Uh, You know, we thought 3.1 was a big number, 7 million, I guess, more than double. Well, if if we take what we're making and we accumulate that, you know, cumulative income, that's the 3.1 million. But then if we also take what we have saved, and in our example, we have a million and a half dollar net worth, and we're going to grow that by our income as well as by our rate of return, when we put all that together, assets and income and interest, of course, we end up with $7 million. That's just over a 10-year period. Now, think about it. Wait a minute. (laughs) I'm thinking about two things normally. I'm thinking, okay, I'm making... $10,000 a month or $250,000 a year, or I've got a little over a million dollars saved, right? Right. And it doesn't feel like it's worth that much. But when you calculate it out over some time and you look at your wealth and income potential, now we're talking some sizable numbers, Yeah. right? So back to the question. If you think about your wealth and income potential, and if you run this calculation, I challenge you, Does that change how you look at it? Well, I mean, I would think so. If people are thinking like you're saying, oh, I only make this amount of money, it's a a different mindset than when you're thinking, gee, I make $150,000, you know, $200,000 a year, but I really am going to have potential of over $7 million. Gee, I'm really a millionaire. You know, when when you're a millionaire, you're going to treat, you know, you're probably going to treat your money a little differently. Yeah, you know, you might realize that, in fact, hey, this is really important. I could do something with this. Absolutely. That's the conclusion that I'm hoping people come to when they make this calculation for themselves. Do this with your own numbers, is what I would tell our listeners. Right. Because it can have an impact on the way you think about it. It might even go so far as to help you want to save a little more. Now, let's continue the exercise here. So the truth is that of that $3.1 million you're going to earn, in our example, or the seven million you could have in your hands, we all know that you can't keep all of it, right? Unfortunately, (laughs) (laughs) if anybody can save 100%, that means they got income from somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) So how much do we have to deduct from that, so to speak, to come up with 
what we really could end up with by the end of the 10-year period, by the time we're ready to retire, right? Right. So first of all, we've got to take out a couple things. One is we've got to take out taxes. Now, everybody has a different tax situation, business owners, W-2 employees, et cetera. I'm just going to take out a flat 30% for the sake of the argument here, okay? Sure. You have to do your own numbers again. But right. first of all, if we take out 30%, that's going to make an impact. And then most people, most Americans, most of us have some type of debt service, right? Whether that's mortgages or personal loans or Cars, yeah. um, lever leverage on a business, et cetera, right? right? In fact, 33 cents on the dollar on average is what we spend in debt service, believe it or not. Wow. So I'm going to just put a, you know, I'm going to put a slightly more conservative number. I'm just going to say, let's say it's 20%. Right, right. Okay. Which is still substantial. You could be give, still substantial. And again, you need to do this with your own numbers. Right. Yours could be a lot less or a lot more. Right. Some people are up in the 50 percentile on their debt service, right? Wow, yeah, yeah. So we've got taxes and we've got debt service. What's next? And then the next one, of course, is lifestyle. How much of what's going through my fingers is going directly to my lifestyle? Hmm. Okay. Now, the only other thing on my list is savings. So if you're not saving, that means the rest of it, 50%, is going to lifestyle. Okay? Right. If that's you and you don't already have, I mean, if you're not already financially independent and financially wealthy, so to speak, then you you got to be saving something right now. What's the average savings rate in the U.S.? Probably more like 5%, right? If that, yeah. right? <laughs> so I'm being generous. <laughs> okay. Meaning, let's, let's say if it was 5%, that would mean that 45% of the money going through your fingers is lifestyle. And you're only saving 5%. Yeah. And yet, in just 10 short years, we're expecting that 5% savings to somehow magically support a lifestyle that was eating up 45% of your cash flow. Yeah, it's a little bit of an imbalance. Yeah, it's an imbalance. Does that make any sense, right? Yeah, no. So let's be a little more generous. Let's say that you're doing what is considered really good, which is 10% savings, and you're living on 40%, right? So just to review, your income allocation is going like this. Taxes, 30%. Debt service, 20%. Lifestyle, 40 Savings, 10 okay? okay? Now, let's see where that brings us. When I click calculate on that, what it does is it subtracts all of the expenses and it just takes our savings and adds them by our interest rate, which was 6% we were using. And... Where do we end up? We started at a million and a half today. We end up in 10 years at having saved $3.1 million. That's something, right? But yep. guess how much we spent? Do we want to know? <laughs> <laughs> we spent over that same period $3.8 million. Mm. Whoa. <laughs> wow. Wait a minute. We spent $3.8 in 10 years. We have accumulated $3.1 and now we expect to retire for the next 30 years on the 3.1 million. Mm. You see the problem. Well, <laughs> absolutely. You don't even have to run the calculation there. You just run that by your head real slow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you see the potential problem. <laughs> right, okay? right, right. And I haven't even mentioned inflation, right? Which is going to even eat up those savings even more yeah. over time going forward. So what are we going to do? Well, there's only a couple things we can do. We've only got what we've got, 
right? And that's another part of this point. When you look at your entire wealth potential, now you can start giving it up in a way that might get you to where you need to be a little bit more closely, right? Which is that discussion we're going to have in a couple minutes about current income versus future income. You cannot generate the income you're going to need in the future if you're only saving 10% in our scenario. You with me? Yeah. There's no way. No way. So where's the money going to come from? How can we reallocate some of where our money is going to the future rather than to current? You follow me? Following. Okay. Well, first of all, taxes. Can I change that? Well, if you have a good account, you may have to to squeeze a little more out, but you certainly can't eliminate it. Okay. Right. right. Let's just leave it at 30%. Let's say you've already got a good account. Okay. Okay. Debt service. Can we do anything about that? Well, possibly, right? Right. We could pay some things down. We could just not add as much to it. Yes. Right. If you didn't add any more, maybe it would go down. And maybe if you, you know, this is a question and I can't answer this for you because there's a lot of variables here. Sure. For instance, if you have a mortgage that you're paying three and a half percent interest deductible and your net cost of that mortgage is two and a half, but in your investment accounts, you're earning six. Does it make any sense to take money out of your investment account to pay off a mortgage that is now essentially putting your savings into a bucket earning two and a half? You've lost, if you follow me there, you've lost three and a half on your opportunity cost. That's not a good deal. Okay? Right, right, right. On the other hand, if you're part of your debt service is going towards credit cards at 16% and you're only earning 6% in your investment account, well, now maybe we need to look at that. Right? Right, of course. Or if you have equity in your home and, you know, by taking some out of that and paying down those credit cards, you could eliminate that transfer on that higher interest. You follow me? Right. There's a number of juggling factors here. But in theory, if we could find a way to bring down our debt service, let's say bring it down from 20 to 10, where could that 10% go? Well, I'm sure my wife could find a few good places to put that 10%. But. <laughs> <laughs> I, hear, I hear you, right? Not, that's another part of the discussion. But, <laughs> hey, look, if we don't put it in our lifestyle bucket, we could direct it to our savings bucket, couldn't we? Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. That would be fantastic because that way we would not have to adjust our lifestyle downward. And as you said at the beginning, I, look, I haven't met anybody ever in my many years of working in the financial services that said to me, Brian, can you help me reduce my lifestyle? (laughs) (laughs) That would be a funny question. (laughs) Haven't met that person yet. So, okay. Now, if we do that, we have essentially doubled our savings rate, haven't we? From 10 to 20. What's the result of that? Well, here's the result. We now would have over our 10-year period savings of $3.54 million. And we would have spent only 3.4. We've reversed the situation. We now have saved more over the next 10 years than we have spent. That's a good balance. Yeah, much better. That's quite interesting, isn't it? Right. Now, there's only one other discussion we could have here. And you can say, look, I know I need to change my lifestyle in order to make this work, right? If you're that person, that's okay. You could do that. But let's say you reduced it by 10%, which is a lot, okay? If you found a way to do that, 
now your savings and your lifestyle are equal. I'm saving 30% and I'm living on 30%. The result of that would be even more savings, would be give you about $4 million of savings, and you'd only spend $3 million. Right. Quite interesting. Right. Right? Now, that does something else, because what that does is by reducing your future lifestyle need along with your current lifestyle need, you also have saved more, which makes it more likely that you'll be able to stay in the lifestyle that you're accustomed to in the future. Right. That makes sense. It follows a good balance. Right. So when you have balance, you can, as you say, stay where you are. If you become unbalanced one way or another, things change. It's inevitable. Right. Exactly. Because where we started with this scenario was really an out-of-balance situation. It was that we were spending today to maintain our current lifestyle, we were spending part of our future lifestyle. Right. Right? Meaning that once we get to the future, we're not going to be able to sustain our lifestyle because we haven't saved enough. Okay? Right, right. You know, and I think along with that, sometimes what you're talking about isn't necessary that we have to to significantly reduce, stop doing what we're doing, stop living the way we're living, but maybe evaluating the efficiency of it and evaluating our tendencies to want to increase that lifestyle. Absolutely. Our tendency is definitely to try to increase, and that's how we kind of live our lives. Look, here's an example for you. I love to travel, right? Right. And now, if I think back for a moment, that first trip I took after I got out of college to Europe, you know, I flew the most basic coach seat I could find. <laughs> <laughs> I, I stayed in a youth hostel because I thought it was cool. You know, and I lived on um, French bread and peanut butter, and then I eventually graduated to Nutella because it tasted better. <laughs> but <I'm great. laughs> you know, uh, I still saved a little money for some wine, you know, but yeah, look, it was not expensive wine either. I mean, tell you, <laughs> yeah. I was a college student, you know, and that's okay. And then what happened was a funny thing. As years went by, suddenly I found myself staying in a hotel. And then I wanted to not sit in the coach seat anymore. I wanted a little upgrade. And then I wanted to stay in a nice, and actually in a suite because I was able to get an upgrade and blah, blah, blah. Suddenly, everything has changed. And that happened over time. It's not like this is an unusual situation. No, Maybe some people out there can relate to this. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I I can relate to it, uh, you know. My wife and I, you know, we took a recent trip to the Caribbean. We were trying to kind of limit our expenses somewhat by going to an all-inclusive resort, right? But the problem is you get to an all-inclusive resort, which first of all is obviously nicer than staying in a youth hostel. But, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, so we've already upgraded a little bit there. But you get to the <laughs> resort and then they say, oh, you know, for just a few dollars more, you could have closer to the beach and have more service. And then – you get that. And they say, oh, well, you can have this other upgrade. And then you might want to get that because it's tempting. They make it valuable. And <laughs> then they show you the real suite that you could actually have. You can become a member and, you know, and oh, boy, let me tell you, it's an endless pit to go down. You just want to keep upgrading and upgrading because they keep giving you more and more for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, it and it's that temptation that is difficult because, you know, if you upgrade too far, then it's, you know, like you're saying, you're starting to throw things out of balance. It impacts your current versus your future lifestyle tension again. 
Exactly. That's the point. Right. It's so easy to do that in our it, it is. It's so easy in our, it's, in our society, you know? It seems like the natural progression. I remember my first apartment. Okay. Now this is quite interesting, but you know, this is my first apartment out of college and <laughs> I was living in a rural area. So it was a little literally it was a little A frame shack on the side of a hill. <laughs> You're yes. laughing because you remember this place. I, I do. Um, I know what he's talking about. And I and this is gonna this is gonna date me, but that rent was three hundred bucks for the month. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now it was three hundred bucks for a reason. Okay. <laughs> but but I was happy as a clam, you know, because I had my first apartment. Anyway, yeah, your own place. What happened after that? Well, then some some time later, I had a better apartment. I had a two bedroom apartment. Then I had to buy the nice condo in the chic neighborhood in in Boston, and then another one in New York. And then there was a second home, and you know, then there's a bigger condo. And oh, yeah. it look lifestyle is a funny thing, you know. As soon as the income goes up, so does the lifestyle. Yeah, it does right? tend to kind of evolve that way. Yeah, <laughs> and that's why. I, every once in a while, I always encourage people to step back and look at where they are now and where they want to be and see if they're in balance, like we just did with our example earlier, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah. It's easy to, that lifestyle creep, as I call it, it's easy to do Oh, that. it is easy. I, I see it with my cars, you know, it's no secret that I love cars. And my first car was a I think it was 12-year-old hand-me-down Honda, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> then I got a little bit newer one, is and it was only like five or six years old. And then, you know, a couple cars later, I'm up into a brand new car, a brand new Honda. Then a couple cars later, I'm into a, a BMW. And then, you know, <laughs> well, I like cars, so I'm going around. I'm, I have friends that like cars. I'm going to events. Uh, next thing you know, I'm not just going to an event, I'm trying to participate in them. <laughs> and it's just, it's that endless creep. You know, now I'm going to the to the racetracks with my friends. It just, uh, it keeps growing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, I mean, it's fun in a way, but in the other sense, it can easily get out of balance when we don't oh, absolutely. sit down periodically and look at the numbers, you know, to help yeah, us absolutely. get some, and, and again, that whole Big concept, wealth potential overall, you know, to that, right. just that one thing. And here's the other thing I ask, like to ask people, you know, what are the ways that you're tempted to possibly move your lifestyle a little bit too far ahead right now and outstrip your future lifestyle, right? Right. The other thing I, I, I do is, you know, one of the things we have talked about in several episodes of Wealth Tax Rebels is our personal economic model, our PEM. And I think we have, Kevin, we have this up somewhere, right, for people to see. I'm definitely going to include it in the show notes, which is, of course, at wealthtacticrebels.com. And we have a show notes page. You'll find this episode, the current and future lifestyle episode, okay. on the show notes. And we'll put, we'll make sure we have a big, big PEM model for everyone to view there. Okay, great. So, so when you, when you look at that, what you'll see is you'll see a big tank on the left that's called lifetime capital potential. That's what we've been talking about, okay? Right. And at the bottom of that tank, the money flows out of it and directly to our lifestyle, that is our current lifestyle, 
Okay, it's very easy. It just it flows right down, straight across, and out. And once it's out, it's out. <laughs> it doesn't come back, okay? <laughs> right. By contrast, though, there is a pipe on this cash flow that goes in the direction upward, meaning that is for our future lifestyle, and it's connected to two other tanks, our investment tank and our safe tank. We've talked a lot about those two tanks, but the point is that since the money has to flow up and into those other tanks, it takes a lot of pressure, right? It's easy not to do it. It's easy to just let all the money flow right, right directly out, the, out through current lifestyle. Right. But future lifestyle, there is going to come a day when you're going to need some of that money in those investment and savings tanks because the lifetime capital potential is going to be finished, right? You're not going to work forever. Right. And most of us, even if we wanted to, are not able to, right? right. And so... If you once you need the money from those other tanks, that's future lifestyle. It becomes current once you open those valves and start draining the tanks in later years. Now, even if you are in retirement today, because some of our listeners could possibly be in retirement, right? Even if you are, yep. the same question still applies, and that is, am I spending more today on my current lifestyle and risking what I'm going to need for the future or not? Okay. And if you don't know the answer to that question, then you need to find somebody that can help you answer it. Right. Right. That's one of the things we specialize in, of course. I mean, we can answer those questions pretty quickly uh, with a conversation and some of our advanced calculators. There may be some calculators you could even find online to help you, but certainly working with a professional, you'll get a more qualified answer. Yeah. But it comes down to that one thing we started off with, which is, if you know how much you have, if it's a giant number, will you treat it more carefully and therefore keep in balance the current versus your future needs? Yeah. Well, I think that's a good way to think about it. When you start to think about how much you really have, what your real potential is, it's mindset altering. Yeah. There, there you go. You see what your real worth is. And when you have that worth, when you possess it, now it's yours because you know that number you're going to become protective of it. When you don't have something, you don't know what it is, you're not going to protect it. Yeah. So, and, and speaking of protecting, you know, one of the things that we could say is that, in fact, if your lifetime capital potential is your largest asset you're ever going to have, doesn't it make sense to protect that? And there are specific insurance programs like disability, long-term care, even to some extent life insurance mm -hmm. that can be used to protect that for you and your family, right? right? So that True. If, True. if suddenly your lifetime capital potential gets shrunk or gets you know, interrupted, that some of those protections for a few dollars can guarantee that you won't run out completely. Does that make sense? I mean, that makes sense. It's a good thing to think about. A lot of people might not feel the need for insurance, but you know, it exists for a reason, and it's there for, as we talked about, protecting. Well, and if you have, you might not have that nest egg yet, but you know what your nest egg is going to be once you get that number. Yeah. So it does make sense to ensure, what, in whatever form that may be, your future. Yeah, again, once you look at how large it really is, and it's probably millions of dollars for many of our listeners, it's worth protecting, right? For just a few extra dollars. Right. People protect their home, right? If you have a home, you know what your home is worth, you protect it. Right, because it's a very valuable thing. If you lost it, you couldn't replace it, perhaps. It's not easily replaced. 
Well, even more so with your lifetime capital potential, because you buy the home out of the lifetime capital potential, not the other way around. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so this one is even more valuable to protect. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right. I think it's taking a emotional, non-logical idea that we've talked about today, which is lifestyle, and really put it into a perspective that people can understand. You have to think about what you're doing today, what that's going to bring you in the future. And once you have that number, you can then own it. And then you can think about how what you do today in your lifestyle and the temptations of your growing lifestyle over the future, how to maintain a balance of that so that you can maintain your lifestyle in the future when you no longer are having that income, correct? That's it. That's it in a nutshell. Very good. Well, thank you, Brian. My pleasure. We've had a very good discussion today. I hope people found this interesting and valuable. I I think I did. (laughs) (laughs) So, as I said earlier, we're going to be putting a, a model of the personal economic model, which we use as our roadmap for how everyone's money works. It's a basic roadmap. We're going to put that on wealthtacticrebels.com on the show notes page. And uh, while you're there, you can also download our free guide to the three key areas you could be losing money unknowingly and unnecessarily. Well, Brian, I want to thank you again for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Always happy to be here. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Wealth Tech Rebels, for joining us today and have a fantastic day. Want to really see things differently? Take our course in Genius Tactics 201, where we teach you all the wealth accumulating tactics with detailed real-life examples, screenshots, downloads, and a step-by-step guide to help you. See your progress with quizzes, a final, and a certificate of completion. For course details, visit WealthTacticRebels.com. Sign up today and start seeing things differently. This presentation is intended as informational only. Information presented does not consider your particular financial objectives, risk tolerance, time horizon, or other unique circumstances, and does not constitute a personalized recommendation or replace the advice of a financial, tax, or legal advisor or other qualified professionals. Do your own research and do not use the information of this presentation in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional. To the best of our ability, we provide content that is accurate as of the date of release. However, we give no assurance or guarantee regarding its accuracy, timeliness, completeness, or applicability. We assume no liability for the information of this and related presentations.